Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Jazz here we are again. Jazz hands. There we go. Hey, okay. who's that guy? Can you over see me? <laughs> Can you see me? I see. Yeah. I see double. I was just saying, can you see me? Can you see me now? Yeah, that's, yeah. I still got my stunt double back there. Good old hey, GR. So, so we just talked about this right before we got teed up here. My mom was talking about the stunt doubles, and uh, I said that I wanted to get Jenna, who is my daughter who uh, enjoys baseball and plays Little League, a uh, seat at Minute Maid Park with cardboard cutouts. My mom has now gone on record saying we should get all three kids a seat at Minute Maid Park, even though we're here on the uh, left coast, and uh, she'd help pay for the seats. So we might be... Uh, I might have three kids as season ticket holder, cardboard cutout folks at Minute Maid Park. But you had some news when I brought that up in that um, it looks like Texas has yeah. uh, opened up a little more uh, than, than the rest of the world. But you guys may actually have fans. There might be some real ones. We may have to show like the cutout and then all of a sudden, you know, do the do the pew. And all of Are a sudden, the real a person jumps section. out. Like left field is the cutout section. We'll have some fans here or... What we saw in Kansas City was like you four people in this row, and then you go up one more row, and then <laughs> yeah. there's four people at the end of that row, four, 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 something like yeah. that. I like I, like I said, we'll just have the cardboard cutouts of seat fillers oh, in between dang. those groups of people that you're talking about. I think that'd be oh, perfect. Cool. But there's a couple of things that I want to uh, peel off right here is the okay. fact that I am now a fan of Mama Tuttle oh, because you. there's a the only reason she would know about the cutout situation for Jenna is if she's listening. To the podcast so oh my gosh so i greatly appreciate the fact that the tuttle family is totally in on the bleacher blums situation and fan. That, yeah Number man fan. but also Shocker. understanding that it was a great idea to actually have your kids especially you know being affiliated with this podcast and how you're blown up you're you're more popular in houston than you are in southern california right now i hope you know <laughs> so having your kids represent you at minute Maid park would be fantastic but like you said, the, the, right now the rumors are floating around and they're gaining a little bit of steam. Is it the fact that they're going to have, you know, 25% capacity at Minute Maid Park? And that does nothing but provide, provide more hope for what's happening in Major League Baseball. But I appreciate the, uh, the, the Tuttle family really reinforcing how much fun we're having on this podcast. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I'm sure she will appreciate the, uh, the, the shout out as well. But I, I think, you know, if if our moms don't listen to us, then, you know, then nobody will. Right. No, I'm <laughs> my kidding. mom listens to Yep. Yeah. There you go. So um, to that point, I mean, is there some definitive plan or is this just all throwing stuff against the ch- uh, blackboard to see what sticks or the wall, see what sticks because um, you know, obviously the cases have been going up, there's still social distancing, but also I would assume based on the lost revenue from last year, that there's gotta be some benefit to being like, look, if we're only allowed to, add you know 10,000 people let's say or 5,000 people into the stadium per game um, maybe those cardboard cutouts regardless of you know how much they cost for season ticket holders or whatever maybe those are still a good option or a viable option yeah and I think it you know it's it's the example that's been laid out the world series we saw in 2020 actually had about 10 to 11,000 fans I think in the in the stadium up in Arlington so that gave some hope and then everything we've seen with the progression of the NCAA college football season 
and the NFL season where it's shifting towards having these fans. You just mentioned Kansas, the Kansas City Chiefs had, man, what do they have 19,000? I think they had close to 19 or 20,000 yeah. people in that stadium because it's so big that they could yeah. scatter them out. So I think that's kind of giving them hope in the sense that they can have fans. And of course, being here in Texas, uh, God bless Texas for them just, you know, challenging the coronavirus, I guess, so to speak. And, you know, trying to create opportunities or take the protocols that are in place and actually implementing them, saying, OK, we will have six feet in between that group, that group, and we'll just scatter them all over the stadium. Because you being the business mind of the Bleacher Plums pro program can attest to the fact that if you are if you in this COVID era, you're, you're anticipating losses. And we saw we, we heard what the losses were last year with no fans in any stadium. But I would imagine that exploring the opportunity to cut your losses by having 10,000 fans in there is, is, is probably the way to go if you can pull it off. Yeah, you can pull it off plus add the cardboard, like I said, which, you know, the, I'm oh, yeah, just saying dip. that. Yeah, double dip. So you have all those folks. The other thing I'm thinking right when you say that business mind or not is those 10,000 fans are going to have to eat a lot of hot dogs and drink a lot of beer, man. They're going to be like. Two for one specials. They gotta. They're gonna. I was gonna say the, you could. You could encourage them. The, yeah, <laughs> gotta up the ante on uh, on uh, concessions because that's gonna be. Uh, they're losing money on concessions, but if they get mm -hmm. you know a third of the fans in, let's try and triple their uh, their um, uh, consuming of uh, sell, uh, sellable goods. I guess. Yeah, and and it is kind of interesting, you know, just being in that COVID era, talking about the regular season of Major League Baseball. I just want to hit real quick on a story that I read. Uh, I'm sure a lot of baseball fans actually read about spring training. And, and of course, you're enjoying the Bleacher Blums podcast here on most, most uh, you know, podcast platforms and the Social Nostra Network. So we appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, viewership has actually gone through the roof. And dude, we, had a, we had a crazy bump. I know you don't get to see the stats, but we had a crazy bump last, uh, last week that actually shot us well ahead of our December numbers in a hurry. Mm. And we still, you know, have a little bit of uh, the month of January left to get some of those downloads. So it's been great. We appreciate that. We also appreciate World's Strongest Man CBD. Go to WSMCBD.com, uh, St. Arnold, Just Geek It, and uh, Ram Shirts, all those people. And now that I've completely forgotten, I went back. No, uh, talking about spring training, there was an article that came out and a, and a note from the Cactus League Committee. I didn't even know this existed, but yeah. they said that they were there. <laughs> Couple, I almost said something really bad right there. They, <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Do with maybe maybe an early bird special out there at a local Denny's in, in Phoenix. But any, now I'm an ageist. Way to go, Blum. But uh, <laughs> but they sent a letter to the Players Association and said, hey, we don't recommend spring training. And I kind of chuckled at first, and I and I and I went to the Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, uh, website and then I went to the Phoenix Suns website and I saw that they still had games scheduled in Phoenix in indoor in an indoor arena with fans and I had to chuckle at the fact I'm like what are they saying that they don't want spring training to show up in an outdoor venue with limited fans or no fans and yet they'll have them playing sports and then um, like two weeks later we find out that the owners or a couple of owners kind of jumped in and maybe said hey could you send out this letter some sketchiness going on man you know what's funny about that is like you said first of all who knew that there was a cactus league committee <laughs> but 
maybe the Cactus League committee was formed by the owners to put out a press release. I mean, how Ooh. long has this Cactus League committee been in existence? And what, what you know, what is, what is their what They is had their, their inaugural yearly... meeting last month. Yeah, what is, that's exactly what I'm thinking. What does their yearly <laughs> job entail? You know, is it Chamber of Commerce or is it like the Rotary Club or like what does the Cactus League actually do? I know spring training, obviously Florida and Arizona are the two hotbeds in Arizona in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years has really become the place because of the real estate where all the teams kind of move their facilities and they built nice, um, nice stadiums and things like that. But I think, uh, I think it's probably not that shocking to find out that the owners were behind this in the terms of um, similar to getting rid of the minor league teams and some of the minor league squads because of the revenue that they lost. And we've talked about that from a business standpoint, they're losing a ton of revenue. Um, They've lost quite a bit of money. And so if we can just postpone, a little bit of spring training and get into the regular season uh, a bit quicker without having to, um, I don't know, I guess, incur any more losses or have a whole nother, um, I don't know, setup and presentation and, you know, I don't know, circus for lack of a better word, then uh, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, wise to do. But I think to your point with the coyotes playing and the sun's playing, there isn't really a, uh, a, physical excuse or a, uh, a valid <laughs> athletic excuse to postpone spring training, but maybe the hotel industry, maybe all those, um, the stadiums, all those kind of things are going to kind of put a damper on it. So I don't know. It's not really that surprising, is it? No, I guess this day and age, I mean, you just expect the craziness to come out, but it's just kind of, it's surprising to me that knowing the revenue that a spring training brings to a state like Florida or a state like Arizona, that they'd even think that. So it kind of make, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that maybe the owners started this committee because they might be the only ones that would want that because if, it, if there was anybody on the chamber of commerce, they're going, no, 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 no. Bring them in. We want more people yeah. to come in. But again, yeah. it goes to the COVID thing. How many people actually would show up? Yeah. And I think that's probably, you know, if we, if we peel the, the onion, you know, a little bit further. I think that's probably it. I know we were supposed to have, I mentioned this a, a few podcasts ago, we were supposed to have a soccer tournament in Las Vegas uh, at the mm-hmm. beginning of this month. And it was great. I got a room at the Bellagio and we were like, this will be great. We'll stay an extra day and the kids can, you know, we can eat at nice restaurants. And then the cases went up and the restaurants closed and it's kind of like, eh. and then the tournament was canceled. It's, you know, to your point with spring training and the way things are, Maybe people would attend, but I, you know, they're probably looking at, as I already mentioned at Minute Maid Park, you know, 10,000 fans has got to be better than 30 or 40, but it's still a loss and they still got to open up the venue and they got to get the, you know, the concessions open and they got to do all the, yeah. So I don't know, again, you, you call me the business guy here. I'm just saying, I'm sure it has to do with dollars and cents on one end of that. And I don't know enough about the the revenue streams and the, the typical ticket or gate um, yeah. revenue. Can I, I got to bring attention. You know, normally I'm wearing like a cool bleacher blown shirt, but man, yeah. I have never felt more Texas than I am right now. Yeah. Like I've got the Bass Pro Shop sweatshirt going that I got for like 10 bucks. And then I've got the, the, the camo hat on. I'm, I am like, right. I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Texas right now, dude. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Can you uh, share with us why you have a Bass Pro Shop sweatshirt? Now, granted, 10 bucks is a good deal, but a $10 sweatshirt, mm, you know, I mean, was that so that you could be Texas or were you freezing yes. one day and no. needed it? 
so this is like true camouflage, you know, where mm-hmm. you, got, you yes. hide. This this is this is a California guy's camouflage. Nice. <laughs> I my, knew you had wife, a reason. Yeah, my wife let me out of the house with like a couple couple dollars, and I went immediately to the Bass Pro Shop and looked at a bunch of stuff that I will never use. And I found a sweatshirt and I'm like, oh, wouldn't this be great? I would totally fit in down here if I had a Bass Pro Shop shirt on. So here I am in my Texas camo. So you have your cowboy boots. Oh, yeah. I got my custom Tejas boots, man. They're money. So wear your custom Tejas boots with your Bass Pro Shops and nobody would ever suspect that you're uh, a California kid. Yeah. I will tell you this. You're not the only. Cornholio. I love I will. I will say this, Blummer. You are not the only person to move from Tex or from California to Texas. I'm just saying that's a news flash. I know, but <laughs> yeah, there might There's... there might be a few more. I know you guys are opening yeah. up and everything's trending in the right yeah. direction, but yeah, there might yeah. be a couple more Cali- California Texans out here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially I guess I would say more more likely in Austin or something like that. But uh, you know, yeah, Austin is very California-ish. Um, to that point, the Bass Pro Shops thing. I mean, I'm I'm wearing just my typical, uh, you know, work attire, work from home that, attire. That's very so California flannel right there. That is, it is. That is choice. Yeah, this is surf surf shop special. Like, hey, what yeah. what are the what are the kids wearing? What are the whippersnappers wearing these days? Like, give me one <laughs> of those flannels wearing. Yeah. yeah, the grommets. That's right. What are the groms wearing? So uh, so anyway, we we covered that. Um, we did talk about the NFL last week. Obviously, the Super Bowl has been decided uh, with the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. I texted I you during the week. Up. So, well, I said, so you said Green no, Bay you and Buffalo, and I said Kansas City and the Bucks plus very, three and a half. I did, not, it in. I did not. No, I don't think so. I didn't think the Bucks were going to win, but I had them plus three and a half, and of course they won. So I look like the bet. gambling genius, um, even though it's still luck, and we'll talk about the Super Bowl bet. But what I did text you after those games were statistics that I got from a friend of mine, which is that Tom Brady has played 21 seasons in the NFL and he's going to his 10th Super Bowl. So gosh, that's the math on that. 10 out of 21. I mean, jeez. So he's like 48%. Half of his career, he's going to the, he's going yeah, to the he's Super going to the Bowl. Super Bowl. That's amazing. So here's the other stat. There have been 55 Super Bowls mm-hmm. of which – Oh, this is, I'm sorry. There've been 54. So prior to last year, I guess, which would have been great too, is nine out of 54. Tom Brady <laughs> has now appeared in, if, you know, God yep. willing, right. He's going to appear in the 10th one coming up in a week and a half. Um, 10 out of 55 Super Bowls, which puts him at like 19% of all Super Bowls. Like that's amazing. So when people talk about the GOAT, right? Like, oh, this guy's the GOAT. And then you start thinking about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. LeBron James took, what, seven seasons or eight seasons in a row. He went to the finals with three different teams. Like, you start (laughs) thinking about a GOAT. And a GOAT in a business world, it's an influencer and somebody who can see things that other people don't. You got to invest over here and do this. Elon Musk and Warren Buffett, people like that. I mean – I think it's this kind of solidifies that goat argument, right? You, you've appeared in 19% of all the Super Bowls that have ever been held. And you've been in the Super Bowl essentially 50% of the time, almost half your career. Every other year, you're going to the Super Bowl. Uh, what say you, Blummer? I mean, is the, is the goat argument dead for, uh, for a while? No, it's over. 
Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> as soon as those numbers came out, I, I, I was flabbergasted. I mean, every time you think you, that he's too old and that yeah. he's going to start showing some weakness, he goes out there and, and I hate to use the word manage because he has to play yeah. the game and he has to complete passes and he's got to make plays. But he went out there and did what he did against the Green Bay Packers and, and just dealt for lack of a better word. I mean, he threw three, what, three interceptions, two three of them touchdowns, three caught. interceptions. Yeah. But yeah. two, two of those interceptions were tipped, you know, maybe could have been caught, should have been caught according to my man Tuttle, but uh, you know, yes, he's the goat. And I, it's, yeah. it's interesting in this, you know, you talked about Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and you know, you can actually have conversations but has my question probably is, and for me, it's not a question anymore. Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time as a quarterback. I don't think you can argue that any other way. I mean, his winning percentage and the, the going 20% of the time to the Super Bowl to the greatest game ever um, kind of solidifies that. And it's just a matter of time before they call the uh, Super Bowl MVP trophy the Tom Brady trophy. I think Ooh, it's just a matter of I like time. That. Yeah. He retires a couple of years. You got to call it the instead of Vince Lombardi to. trophy. It's got to be the Tom Brady trophy. Well, That'd be interesting. And you're and you can. I've looked up some more of those uh, those uh, stats you were talking about. And I think he's completed close to thirty percent of the passes ever in Super Bowl history. Yeah. I mean, you st- these things just start extrapolating, and you're going, okay, there's yeah. nobody that can compare. I mean, yeah. you're going to have guys that have phenomenal regular season careers. And he matches what those guys have done in his regular season. And then you add yeah. the amount of games he's played in the postseason. Forget it, man. Forget yeah. it. No, that's really good. It's a really good, uh, good perspective. I think what I think about often is, um, and you know this too. I mean, you know, you're having a beer with a buddy and they're like, oh yeah, you know, Blummer, you were a good baseball player in high school. You know, I was pretty good too. I had some scouts looking at me and then I blew out my arm and, you know, then I just, you know, got married and I just went down a different path, but you know, you remember I was pretty good. I struck you out before, you know, and you're like, "Uh, okay. Um, (laughs) What the reason I bring that up is like, you know, all the guys that we hang out with and guys that we um, rub elbows with had been athletes in high school and then maybe college and even into Mm -hmm. the pros. But what, what I respect most about guys like that are people that can kind of do it on the biggest stage. Right. I mean, that's the whole point of, of, you know, doing your craft and you know I, I don't know I mean people that are able to so there are people like Kershaw was getting a lot of heat because he was doing things in the regular season and then he would you know have a blow up inning in the postseason and I, yeah. he obviously he obviously put that to rest this year um, but you know you need things to go your way but there are a lot of people that um, that you've come into contact with as have I that are just not big game kind of people and I don't mm-hmm. mean in, on true. the biggest stage I just mean guys that you would want in your foxhole um, and guys that you liked as teammates and guys that you wanted to play with because um, they had a they had the ability to kind of rise to the occasion and be a good teammate and you know do the right things all the time and I just think Tom Brady is the epitome of that and he certainly has um, you know he just has another level when it comes to the mindset and the mentality and I think what you heard the Tampa Bay Buccaneers say off a lot of them were you know even the defense who you know maybe Tom threw an interception that he shouldn't have thrown but they're like, they have no fear about going into battle with this guy. Cause they know he's been there and done that. And they wanted to help him, you know, Hey, yeah, he put us in a tough spot, maybe here or there, but we want to, you know, we know that he's going to do the right thing when the game's on the line. So we need to step up our game and do that. And those are real 
real, uh, you know, hall of fame type players. LeBron does the same thing. I think Kobe guys like that, that they're, they set the bar really high um, through their words, but even higher with their actions. And I think those are the kind of guys that, you know, that we talk about on this podcast and that we'll revere for a long, long time. Yeah. And the, and those guys that we're talking about usually lift up the people around them, you know, it may be in different ways, but I think, you know, Tom Brady's, he's gained the respect over the course of a season because it didn't get off to the best start. Uh, there were questions early on and then he was clashing with uh, Bruce Arians and they finally figured that out. But I, I, I think it really helps having a veteran defense like the Bucks have. And I was actually in watching what was going on with Tom Brady. And as he looked, at least outwardly, he looked calm and not panicked when he did throw the interceptions. And, and after watching the game, I think we know why is because that defense was so dominant and able to shut down the running game for, you know, the, the Green Bay Packers. You know, they, they, they friggin' blanketed every receiver that, uh, you know, uh, Rodgers was trying to go after. So I think that was kind of cool. But it might have been that, you know, that defense is veteran and they respect Tom Brady going, OK, look, at he's having a bad day. We'll pick him up this time. You know what? We may have a bad day next week and he'll pick us up. But uh, the ability to just kind of raise everybody to that same level, I think, is what makes those guys great and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, you know, the cliche, right? The the rising tide raises all boats. But I, I will say what a, another cool thing, and I think I probably heard this somewhere, but I think that the Tom Brady effect is, uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously real and necessary, but you have these guys that, um, I don't know, that that they just the he just walks on the field and it's like, all right, we got we got this guy in our foxhole and, and they we were saying yeah, they, we got it. So you're saying there's a chance and, and Tampa <laughs> Bay. Oh, I know what I was going to say is that the the fundamental reason why Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay. And that's that's a really insightful thing, because you hear about mm-hmm. like Deshaun Watson wanting to go to New York Jets, you know, and maybe because they need a quarterback or maybe they don't. But New York, it's a it's the limelight. He'll get some notoriety and some big market, flash yeah. or whatever. Tom Brady never, ever cared about that. Now, New England became a bigger market because he yeah. was there. But when he's looking at all these places, he could have gone to L.A. I'm sure the Rams would have had him. Certainly oh, L.A. Gosh. before they drafted um, Herbert. Um, mm-hmm. is they, The Chargers would have loved to have Tom. And he said, oh, I'm in the L.A. market, the brand new stadium, SoFi and all this. And guess what? He was like, I got Mike Evans and, and Godwin to throw to. We're going to have Ronald Jones. Even that Johnson dude is making crazy catches, man. That's right. But they signed Fournette. We got Bruce Arians, and we had the number one or a top five defense from last year. Uh, Their line is good. Like, I'll just go fit right in. And I think that says a lot about who he is because Mm -hmm. he felt like, you know, and you can't calculate everything. I always say this. It's like poker. You know, I want to get my money in the in on the table with the best hand. And if I lose, I lose. But I want the best (laughs) odds to win. I mean, Tom Brady is all about winning, and that's the reason he went to Tampa Bay. No, I completely agree. There might be one more reason mixed in there. And uh, you think, (laughs) considering he was was going to 20% of the Super Bowls, that he kind of looked at Tampa Bay and went, like you said, good defense, good pieces around me, maybe bring Gronk over, and all of a sudden I've got my tight end back, and we got some more options. Uh, Oh, the Super Bowl is being held where this year? Tampa Bay? Huh. I think I'm going to go play in Tampa Bay. Maybe play, maybe play the first home home Super Bowl ever. And yeah. I'll be the starting quarterback. And not to mention Tampa Bay is TB, Tom Brady's yeah. TB. There's a lot of stuff going on right there. But dude, he's <laughs> figured it out. 
And as much credit as I want to give the defense, I have to absolutely annihilate Lafleur, the head coach for Green Bay. For I don't know if it was the defense that intimidated him into kicking that field goal, or I, I don't know what the hell was going on. But the, I I am not a I'm, I tried to watch football well enough to understand a parts of the game where you go for it, where you don't go for it, where you call a timeout, where you kick, where you go for the bro. Kicking that field goal might have been the single dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'll tell you why it was dumb also, because what Lafleur said is he wanted to get the ball back, but aside, okay. But what if they score a touchdown there, right? And they're down eight and they miss the two-point conversion. So his his thinking or what I heard him say was something to the effect of, hey, if I score a touchdown, but don't get the two point conversion, then, then we have to get the ball back. But the, the bottom line is he just thought it was tough to get a fourth down play and a two point conversion. So if they kicked it there and I'm thinking, even if they go for it on fourth and eight and miss it, then they're still in the same position they were, right? You're still one possession away. If you get the and touchdown pinned. and miss it, if you, right. If you get the, if you get the touchdown and miss two point conversion, then a field goal wins the game. So if you get it back, you don't have to go as far. I mean, there are very few scenarios that justify what he did. And I can't, I guess in my, my mind, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I can't think of a scenario that doesn't uh, warrant going for it. And then the other miscommunication, which I've uh, read about is usually, and I don't know if this happened there, but usually they'll say, Hey, we got two plays here, you know, third and eight mm-hmm. or third and goal and fourth and goal. We're going to go for it. Cause they thought Aaron Rodgers might've run on that one play with Sue chasing yeah. him. He could have got down to the two or got, you know, he would have you know, got into the end zone. Gotten closer. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I, I agree with you. I can't, I'm, I'm curious. I'm waiting for the rationale, which is, I think what you're waiting for of somebody to explain to me why you wouldn't go for it. There. Yeah. And I think it kind of led to why, you know, we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson demanding a trade now, but I think it kind of led to the vague comment from Aaron Rodgers after the game, you know, it's going to be a a year of change for everybody, including me kind of thing. And I think it's because he realized that LaFleur bet on his defense instead of betting on Aaron Rodgers. And I think that ticked him off a little bit, man. Yeah. I mean, how could it not, right? How could it not Mm -hmm. tick you off? If that was Tom Brady, you, you've, you have a feeling he would have been screaming like we're going to go oh, for man. it. Or he would have stayed on the field. So I, you know, I don't. Yeah. But that, that just leads us into the, the, the hell that is going on down here for the Houston Texans. And, you know, considering the year that the Astros had, you know, this time last year, uh, trying to navigate the sign stealing scandal and, and rough press conferences and things like that, I really felt like the, the Texans and, and who was a Cal McNair kind of said, Hey, hold my beer. I'm going to, I'm going to go over here and try this thing real quick. And they've just completely taken all of the heat and all the criticism uh, on themselves. You know, uh, Easterby is another guy that we haven't talked about who basically is a team chaplain who's running this team for whatever reason, has the ear of McNair. And uh, <laughs> there was a great, uh, there was a great uh, picture of Cal McNair, I think. And it was, the caption was, uh, something in relation to him being Tommy boy, how he kind of took over, you know, in the movie, Tommy boy, how Tommy Callahan took over Callahan auto parts and it almost yeah. drove it into the ground. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, yeah, it was the paint chip. They think he's uh, been eating paint chips, but 
You know, but, it's funny uh, you brought it up. You go from the trash can scandal to Harden demanding a trade to get out, and now Watson getting it. You know, and they traded <laughs> yeah. Deshaun. They traded uh, Nook Hopkins. They traded uh, Hopkins for nobody. Essentially, they got mm-hmm. nothing in return. They fired Bill O'Brien. I heard something today. Maybe Houston sports fans can dig this. Um, they're number six. The Texans are sixth on the list for going to the most playoffs in the last 10 years. They've gone to the playoffs six out of 10. They're in the top five. They're the fifth team. So you have the Patriots, Seattle, uh, Baltimore. Um, I can't remember. There's one other team in there. Uh, New England. Oh, I already said Patriots. Anyway, and then Houston Texans. They've gone six out of the last 10 years. So they, they're a playoff they, team and they have a winning record. I mean, come on. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> because because if Deshaun leaves, depending on what kind of haul they get in return, because if they don't get a haul in return, you yeah. can't trade the guy. I mean, it, it's going to be destructive. I don't know if that – I mean, it, to me, it feels like it's going to be destructive for both sides if you do trade because we talked about it last podcast – the idea of Deshaun Watson not wearing number four and running around in that navy blue uniform for the Texans is it, – it, it'll be – it'll be, man, I don't know if it'll be similar to George Springer leaving, but it'll be very similar that you're losing one of your favorite players. And, and then on the other side, if you're getting – if you're the Jets and you're getting uh, Deshaun Watson or you're the Dolphins getting Deshaun Watson, whoo, you're, you're going you're gonna to unload quite a few picks to be able to make that happen. I, I, I think the Niners is the place for him. I mean, I'm a, a little bit of a homer. <laughs> a little left coast bias. <laughs> hey, let Garoppolo sign back to New England, right? They need a quarterback yeah. there, you know. Let I mean, Tua, come on. I mean, they got Josh you're... Rosen left, uh, you know, where he got drafted really quickly. I mean, do they really think Tua can or can't do it after like four and a half games? Like, you drafted well, him is, third is all, matter, overall. Do you think like, he Darnold. can do it? Yeah, do you think you can do it or do you think you're better with Deshaun? It's a proven I, I, talent against the potential of a guy. Well, that's we always know we want to go with the proven, but I, that's I, what I was agree doing. with that's you what there, but I just think that's not – I mean, I guess if you traded to it at Houston, then – But that's where you, you take know. into account what I just said about picks and yeah. money and players and yeah. guys. I mean, are you willing to sacrifice that much to get Tua out of that situation yeah. and insert yeah. Deshaun Watson because yeah. the franchise that gets Deshaun, if they trade him is going to have to give it up. Man. I, I hope they give it up. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, but I, maybe it's the podcast and maybe we focus on Houston a lot, but it certainly seems like Houston is kind of the hotbed for the, uh, the sports controversies lately. Oh. And, uh, and you know, this, this is just another one. And I wonder if David Culley was under the impression that, you know, he could talk to Deshaun or keep him, you know, from demanding mm-hmm. a trade by telling him what the plan was. But, you know, I, I just, it's a really interesting dynamic going on down there. And I sometimes think just like with your children, when they tell you they want this red bike or whatever, like it's going to be really hard to get them off that trade fence, um, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to show a lot of good faith and a lot of proof that, you know, that you're going to support Deshaun, get him the talent that he needs. I mean, I think Hopkins was the first piece, right? If they had gotten three first round picks or a first and a second. Yeah, that was that lower gotten... part of the Jenga puzzle that was pulled and kind of started yep. to make it wobble. Yeah, for sure. And JJ Watt even, you know, came out and said it. I mean, like, do we want to win? And then, you know, then it's that culture thing. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think your, your Jenga analogy is right on the nose. I mean, once you start that Jenga tower wobbling and the locker room is like that, I mean, it's wobbling big time right now. Yeah, it sure is. And you're right. They, they hired David Culley, who is a, a minority African-American coach. 
Uh, the last three years was the Ravens assistant head coach and passing coordinator. I don't know if, you know, I would imagine if you're going to sign a passing, a passing coordinator to be your head coach and you have Deshaun Watson, who what led the league in passing yards, I think, you know, with fourth string wide receivers. I mean, that's, that would make sense to bring that guy in and keep Deshaun Watson there. But uh, everything I've read down here in, in H town is saying that, uh, you know, it's up to Deshaun Watson. I don't think Coley is, is the guy that would have pushed it either way, but I, I mean, if, Small victory. There's an African-American coach in Houston, which is a great thing. Mm, yep. Sad part is, is it may not be enough to keep Deshaun Watson here. But, uh, yeah, Houston has definitely taken that uh, on, on the chin. Um, enough football, because we're going to talk a little bit about it next week before the Super Bowl comes up here in about a week and a half. Uh, but something interesting happened in baseball again. And uh, there, there's, been another, there's been a shutout thrown. And it was thrown at the uh, Hall of Fame ballot. According to Baseball Hall of Fame writers, they did not vote anybody into the Hall of Fame. The closest vote getter was Kurt Schilling at, I believe, 70, 71 percent. Several of the guys on there got plenty of votes to be on the ballot for next year, which is going to expand into a bunch of other PED accused guys on it. But uh, how do you feel about it? I'll, I'll ask you first how you feel about it, and then I'll try and interject or pile on or disagree. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. You know, it's really interesting. So um, I, will, I will go to the authority on this. So uh, first of all, Tim Hudson got 5.2% of the vote, so he stays on. He needed 5% to stay on the ballot, so Tim Hudson stays in. I love when you hear about these guys. Like, Tim Hudson is not a Hall of Famer, but – totally good dude like just hanging just on keep him on I'm the back yep just hanging on baby but we, we we should all be so lucky to hang on to the I boat know, right? for another year <laughs> um bob bob costas said a bunch of things and that's where my opinion is uh it's not even my opinion i'm just going to repeat kind of what bob costas said which was really interesting and he's not you know there's no, he doesn't have any insight that we don't regarding this point but uh he said a couple of things one is um he thinks scott Rowland and todd helton will get in not next year, not the year after, but as they progress, because they're making significant strides. Um, I did hear this from someone else, and I thought of this too. Um, the opinion is that, right, not all, all Hall of Famers are created equal. When we think about Hank Aaron, who died this week, and we didn't bring him up yet, but, uh, you know, he should be on the top floor. Jackie Robinson on the top floor. Babe Ruth on the top floor. You know, these yeah. guys on the top floor. But, you know, Scott Rowland gets in. I mean, Scott Rowland, Hank Aaron, you know, they're in the same building, <laughs> but that Hall of Fame, you know, there could be some different levels. I really like that thought about it as a museum, but let's not put everybody in the penthouse in the museum. And I thought that was kind of a neat not way a to look idea. at it because, you know, yeah, not a bad idea. It's not that you get tiered like, hey, you're the fourth mm -hmm. tier, but like we have to know that not the Hall of Fame isn't, you know, fully equivalent. Right. There are some people that did some great things for the game. Um, and we're, you know, the model that we all want, uh, to, to aim for, but, uh, not everybody's like that. So now to the kind of the more, uh, dark side of Bob Costas's point <laughs> was that you have Derek Jeter going in this year, Ted Simmons, you know, posthumously, uh, Marvin Miller Larry going Walker, into the hall of fame yeah. this year, which was for last year and Larry Walker, this is a good group of guys. Um, yeah. you voted nobody in and then. Next year, those guys are, I think, Bonds, Clemens, uh, Schilling are on their last year of eligibility. 
maybe Schilling has a couple more, even though he petitioned. He's like, don't vote for no, me. I think, I I think he has one more judge. year. I think you're right. Yeah. So, but they're coming up on the end here. And it was really interesting. And then A-Rod is eligible that the following year. Um, A-Rod's eligible. And then somebody else, David Ortiz. So they were talking about. So mm-hmm. what he was saying is nobody got in this year. The ceremony this year, probably going to be virtual or they're going to figure out a way to do it because last year's got postponed is Jeter, Walker, Simmons, Marvin Miller, who we just mentioned. That's a good group. If the people capitulate next year, could actually be the year where it's like, look, we don't have to degrade anybody's career. We don't have to degrade Jeter. We don't have to degrade Ted Simmons, who was a fantastic player. We can just uh, put Clemens, Bonds, and Schilling all in on the same year and let them get their attention and then go back (laughs) to normal the next year. And the weird thing about it is now that we're hitting this 10-year threshold, mind you, this is Bob Costas' idea. He's not saying it's going to happen, but if you kind Mm -hmm. of project this out if people are like hey nobody got in last year we're not gonna we're not gonna tarnish anybody's kind of hall of fame speech by having these guys here we'll just let those guys in he also said that they shouldn't let Schilling talk about anything but baseball like you're not allowed to talk about Trump you're not allowed to we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna censor your speech that was an aside but let those guys all get in and then honestly moving forward Ortiz like you know A-Rod different because he was tested positive twice and it wasn't the Mitchell report it was after they had started doing all the testing. I know I'm getting long-winded here, but basically in the next two to three years, all those guys are going to go away. That era is going to be bygone essentially, right? And now we're mm-hmm. going to kind of have the evaluation back to normal. So Bob Costas, just to reiterate, he didn't say this is going to happen, but he thought not getting in this year with some of these, you know, first ballot Hall of Famers like Jeter, um, you know, may put them in a position where they kind of have a class of their own and then it becomes a bygone era after that. You know, I thought it was an interesting point and, you know, I don't think it's intentional. Wonder what you thought about that. Well, I mean, talking about those guys is much like COVID. We're just kind of fatigued. We're exhausted on it. Now we just want to find an answer and move on with it and get on with things. I think that's how I feel about those guys. Um, I've always been an advocate for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and these guys who are on the ballot, uh, uh, you know, baseball's interesting in the sense that it has the character clause where, you know, writers, but I think that's a, that's a cop, it's a cop out, I think, or it's an excuse for them not to vote for somebody because you've got humans voting for this and they're baseball writers. So they're in media or they're on, you know, they're talking heads on media. So they're going to have experience and one-on-one interaction with these people. And what I'm about to talk about might be a little bit of the separation between a player vote and a, and a media writer vote. The media writer vote is going to be the, based on the interaction because pe- writers and media people hated Barry Bonds. And then oh, you yeah. add on top of that- the, A the lot PD, of his teammates hated him too, but- <laughs> Until, he hit, a, until he hit a bomb and drove in three and you're like, okay, that guy's a dick, but I'm gonna, he's scoring runs for me. So we're gonna, <laughs> you know, he's but that's not my- every day, you're good. Yeah, but the, again, that's not my experience. Like if you ask me about Barry Bonds, I'm gonna go, dude, the guy was legit. He talked to me every time, every chance, not every chance, but every time I asked him a question, he talked to me. Yeah. I didn't have to hang out with him for 185 days a year, but- you know, the writer is going to take that personal experience and, and add that, add that up and judge it against what they did on the field. And they're, maybe they're going to go, no, yeah. I don't like, him. he was nice to me. I'm not going to vote for him. Yeah. Oh, he did PDs and he did, and I didn't like him. Oh, I'm definitely not going to vote for him. So that's where I get kind of like, oh, like and it's, you know, it's not, there's not a, there's, 
There's 14 uh, ballots that came in empty, which frustrates me because there are guys on there worthy of votes. The fact that you shunned all of them pisses me off. I mean, that just shows the arrogance of I've got to vote and I don't have to, you know, that kind of thing. And I think it should be split. I think there should, like the Veterans Committee that votes in posthumously, uh, guys like Ted Simmons, why can't, why can't they take an internal vote of, of living Hall of Famers and see who they would vote in or maybe pick two or three of those guys and they get one vote as a group and then take ex-players um, and current TV media, get guys who are watching the game every day because my idea of a Hall of Famer is what they did on the field. And I think, I don't know if you feel the same way, but Barry Bonds, what he did on the field, good God. That dude was the best hitter I've ever seen in my life. Roger Clemens at his peak, Randy Johnson. These guys were the best of the best. Seven Cy Young. You're telling me that seven Cy Youngs is not going to get into the Hall of Fame. And I talked to TK the other day, and we were talking about the Hall of Fame. And he said, if you, if you took somebody from, you know, from England or Australia, well, you know, from another country and plopped them down here and said, you know what? Baseball is one of the greatest sports ever in American history. This is their hall of fame. And then the guy walks in and goes, where's the guy who has the most hits in baseball? He's not yeah. in the hall of fame. Yeah. Where's the guy that has the most home runs in, the, in, in baseball? Oh, he's not, not in the hall, in the hall of, fame. of fame. Yeah. So, I mean, take the character clause out, give the votes to some guys who played and let's move on with this thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is the idea of voting a person into the hall of fame. I get that, but hall of fame has eras. You're going to have the steroid era. You're going to have the dead ball era. You're going to have the live ball era. You're going to have all these different generations. It's an, it's an evolution of Hall of Famers. And I think the idea of a Hall of Famer is changing because they're not playing 25 years. They're not playing 20 years. They don't have the ability to accrue 3,000 hits, 4,000 strikeouts, 300 wins. So we have to start. Nobody's going to eclipse Cy Young's 511 wins anytime soon. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it might be a little while. You may have to combine efforts to get that number. <laughs> you know, two Hall of Famers equal one. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's you know, things are changing a little bit, and I think that's why Scott Rowland is a good, a great ball player. But is he Hall of Fame worthy? Maybe in his era, he is a Hall of Fame third baseman. You know, yeah. I think that's how they have to start looking at things because things are going to start to change when when the Verlanders and the Grankies and man, you know, who else? Some of these guys that have, you know, monster numbers, you're going to have to alter it a little bit to let, or else you're not going to let anybody in the hall of fame. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, it's so weird. I know my mom will have a dispute here about the steroid era because you and I both played during the steroid era, but I mean, I said that before and people hate the argument like, well, he was a hall of famer before he did steroids. I mean, like I agree with you. And this kind of goes to the argument of playing when you compare guys, like, you know, was Bill Russell the greatest basketball player ever? Or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they they were great during their era, but it's really difficult to compare eras. And like you said, the dead ball era versus the steroid era versus, you know, I don't know, any other era. And, I, you know, I, I agree with you in that sense. And I also believe, like you said, where's the guy with the most hits, the guy with the most home runs? I mean, those guys did what they did during the era that they played. And I also think what you say to, you know, your children often, or what I say is, you know, the old movie thing, like, you know, move along everyone. There's nothing to see here. Like the more we talk about it and the more we talk about it and the more we talk about it, it kind of blows it up into this big thing 
when those guys were doing what they did, yes, you know, some of it was intentional and illegal and some of it was what was accepted back then. And, you know, the lines are blurred and talked about, but we're, we're making such a big deal about it. And then your last point about the writers is a really good point, which is what Schilling kind of, you're kind of making Kurt Schilling's point, you know, whether you agree with him politically or not, like let my peers judge whether I should be in, let's get mm-hmm. it to the committee because, um, you know, he had a tweet a couple of years ago that said, you know, you know, baseball writer, rope, tree, you know, God, uh, yeah, some, some assembly required. Well, what is a writer that sees that tweet going to do, right? Like, oh, arms crossed. Like, nope, I'm not ever voting him in. Look what he said. He said we should be hung. Like, you know, look, tongue in cheek, bad, you know, off color joke, whatever it is. That isn't the criteria to your point about what gets you into the Hall of Fame. And so I think you know, we are in some ways, especially writers, because that's who that they mm-hmm. disseminate the news more so than anybody else. We're making a mountain out of a molehill when yeah. we're trying to look at who the best guys were. And to your point, I mean, are Roger Clemens, Pete Rose and Barry Bonds, three of the best players of all time, certainly in our lifetime. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what, if you if you if you did take that character clause out and you put things in there, this podcast is about having the conversation. We're not going to say the right things all the time. We're not going to say things that people listen to and agree with, but it sparks the conversation. And I have no problem going, you know, Hey, you know, if, if one of my kids said, Hey, who's Ty Cobb? Well, yeah. he, he was a hall of fame player, did all this stuff on the field, played like an absolute raging lunatic. And mm-hmm. guess what? Off the field, he was not a nice guy. He was kind of a prick and kind of, he did some stupid things that you really wouldn't appreciate if you were friends with him. And the same thing with Barry Bonds. If he ever goes in, you're going to have, if you have the conversation with that person who came in from another country and you go, look, this guy hit 7 billion home runs and there's rumors he did steroids. I mean, that's how the conversation goes. And that's okay. You can do that. You can say Pete Rose got 4,000 plus hits while he played, but as a manager, he kind of was a dumbass and bet on his own team and maybe manipulated some things. And the other thing is, is if you, if you did, if it's not going to happen, but if you did, if you did give the opportunity now, if you got suspended for PEDs, that's a whole nother story. I don't think you, you got found out and see you later. Thanks for coming. But, uh, or if you got suspended <laughs> twice, like some guys. Yeah. And set a record for like 200. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One guy comes to mind, but, yeah. um, well, actually two, but, uh, but if you did say, say you did give Kurt Schilling, the, the honor of, of recognizing his career as a Hall of Fame career. Here's an idea. Don't let him speak. I mean, what's more important to the guy? Getting in the Hall of Fame or having the, having the platform? He's already got a plat- idiotic platform on Twitter. We all do. You know, just say, hey, we're going to vote you in, but because of certain things, we just don't feel it's right to put you on a stage and let you spew some of this weirdness and hatred that you have in your heart. And we're just going to honor you as a baseball player. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's a nice caveat. You know, I, I think of a couple of things there, but do you, uh, I don't you know, that's kind of crazy talk. No, that's great. I think it's great. Um, I had a, I had something to uh, kind of change gears here. And I, and I, I, I do like that conversation. I think it was well said in the regard that, um, you know, this is just a platform for us to kind of give our two cents, but I do think again, those guys are the best players. Um, we all know it. Uh, everybody uh, that's watched the game knows it. And I think, um, 
you know, again, we're making a, a mountain out of a molehill. Um, a, a slightly uh, left turn, little Waddle Tuttle say-ish, um, in that we had a discussion about possibly like a book club or TV shows and everything. And I thought about you the other day. Um, I'm watching Homeland. I'm in season three of Homeland, which I believe started in 2011. And you said it's a good show. But it was great. So season two, this again, again, folks, this is that uh, comedian that's a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, it's from 2012. So uh, nine years ago. So please, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, but the uh, Brody's daughter goes on a date with the vice president's son. And uh, they're trying to get into the, you know, the p- political scene in the sense that they don't really know what it entails. And the kid drives up in a BMW that the vice president bought the kid. And right behind it is the big suburban, the black suburban. It made me think of you <laughs> when we talk about letting people date our daughters. And I was thinking, you know, man, this might be a service that we could provide um, is the uh, Homeland Security type <laughs> detail for the first dating date. service. Yeah, dating service. So that was the funniest scene. And I just related it to you as this dude rolled up in a BMW and he rings the doorbell and he's like, you ready? And she's like, yeah. And they're going to go cruise around Washington. And right behind him is the guy with the earpiece. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. They're headed west on a, yep. uh Uh-huh. Yep. I got you. And I was like, that's it. The the Bleacher Blum's dating service is right behind you. It's the bulletproof uh, Suburban. And I'm just wondering, I was like, gosh, what what an easy way as a parent to be like oh yeah you can go out with the vice president's son i mean i don't know if he's a good guy or not but those secret service guys are going to make sure everything goes well you know I'm like, yeah exactly okay, man big brother's so, watching how about every yeah. time that the dude gets like out of the car or moves around he's just got the red dot oh <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm just kidding just kidding yeah, yeah. just kidding just kidding um but it's yeah. funny you bring but that it, up because yeah. I, I was watching the crown or watching the crown where we've got uh one more episode of the crown before that whole thing's over talking about the royal royal family i'm glad my wife doesn't listen to this podcast because she would be like well jeff watches the crown but anyway that's a side note i watch it and it's it's amazing me i, I mean it, i have so many opinions now about the royal family it's it's sad but uh, uh, Prince Charles is the biggest dweeb I think that was ever put on the earth. But anyways, it was the same thing. So it's I guess, a TV you know, show, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, he was, uh, he's cheating on Princess Diana with uh, Camila. Yep. And he's like Camilla. going over, every time they show him driving up, there's always that car behind him. And there's always two, there's always two dudes in it. And they show the scene from like down the road as they're meeting on the side of the road and she comes running up to the car and they, and my wife's like, has that car always been there? I'm like, dude, it's been in every time he's been to go meet this woman or every time that Princess Diana or Camille, anybody that's come up, there has always been that car right behind him. And that's exactly what it is. We think it's secret service and we're actually, it's a, it's a dating protection service. It's, yeah. it's the DP, DPS. Yeah. <laughs> DPS. I like it. You know, what's weird though, when you point it out that way. It's making me rethink this because we're going to have to do some is the vice president's guys are there supposed to keep them safe. But, you know, if, he, if they move into the back seat and the, the windows start getting steamy, they don't report it. They're not allowed to say who's it. They're just That's like, the yes, they're safe. We're on this. You know, so, I mean, Camilla and Prince Charles are getting together and Princess dies none the wiser because these guys keep their mouth shut. They know what their job yeah. is. It's like, wait a and second. The, we got to blend two people, those two. Yeah. And the two people in the car that are like committing adultery. Or just yeah. like, oh, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. All right, what's up? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I'll check you out next week. And they're like, nothing's good. 
I'm like, who get? They ain't gonna say nothing. I mean, it's so crazy. It's yeah, like we reality wanna, wanna, TV. How do you get you used break to having that, a yeah. television? Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm gonna give on you this a rose, episode honey. of The Bachelor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Prince Charles anyway. will be cheating on Diane. Yeah. So I know that was a left turn, but I did come up with a, an idea that if as my daughters are younger than yours, then your daughters have already got, started dating. And your dating. solution is, yeah, I know. And your solution is to have them over to the house, which is great. Come over to the swimming pool. It's great. And in yeah. COVID, it's even less. Like, why don't you have a Zoom date, honey? That's great. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, I just we had to lighten the mood. Uh, the uh, the uh, Hall of Fame talk was uh, getting a little deep. But I think uh, what I learned about you today actually is great. Is that you are pretty pretty uh player centric which is good i mean you played with some of those guys you've had interactions with a, a lot of those guys as have i and um and i do I, I do side on the on the the side of the players more often than not because of our relationship with like you said writers and you know how they disseminate information but uh you know i'm sure it's a topic that won't go away and maybe one of these days we'll have somebody on that'll maybe give us a little clarity on what their thoughts are I, I mean, we talked about this was it Ken Rosenthal that wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about um, yeah, there's each a couple year. of those in the athletic. Yeah. 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 I think I forwarded one why each year it's getting either harder or easier. He's not really sure what to do because of the, uh, you know, Omar Vizquel has now been accused of like spousal abuse. And it's like, well, he was on his ballot and he can't vote and then steroids. And then anyway, it just, it, mm -hmm. it Ken Rosenthal, not my favorite writer, but certainly created, um, some thoughts around, you know, where do you go, right? As you're, mm -hmm. as you're looking at your ballot and voting. So anyway, just thought I'd tie that up. No, that's good. I don't have uh, anything as far as Blum's Blast. I think you pretty much crush it with that good conversation, allowing me to jump in on the DPS conversation. So I'm going to call the trademark and uh, copyright <laughs> people. I'm going to get this in motion so that we can keep that uh, dating protection service under our name and we can reap the there benefits. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody out there, you know, California is opening up, uh, baseball continues to talk about having a season with fans. So, uh, the only reason that's happening is because of all of the doctors and frontliners that are out there working and continue continuing to keep everybody healthy. And we know with things opening back up, their work is going to be even harder. So we hope that they just continue to go out there and grind it out and, uh, uh, maybe they get relief here this year by maybe by the end of the year, but we appreciate everything you're doing first responders, military, all the police, uh, everybody out there. We thoroughly enjoy the fact that we uh, still call America home and can uh, spew opinions all over the bleachers like we do, Tuttle. Good hanging with land you, bro. Of the, land of the free, home of the brave. I will say this, I'll give my mom one last shout out. My mom had coronavirus in March, um, got a blood test for the antibodies. She wanted to donate blood, but also because she wanted the antibodies and now she's got the vaccine. So. I'm feeling that uh, Mrs. Tuttle is certainly uh, bulletproof and ready to attack the go. world. So, <laughs> good genes. I mean, she's got the the trifecta. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think as you already pointed out with the first responders and the healthcare workers and um, frontline workers, I should say. I mean, now that the vaccine's here, I know there's a lot of promise and a lot of hope, and things are starting to open up. So let's hope that. Uh, that it continues to trend in the right direction and that we all stay safe and happy. And as always, on our Bleacher Blum podcast, we encourage you to get after it and believe. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it.